you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Leviticus 23. Leviticus 23 is where we are continuing our way this morning uh, as we uh, continue our way through this series, Thou Shalt Feast. Um, We've been journeying through the different festivals, the different feasts of the Jewish people that we read uh, in the Old Testament, particularly in Leviticus 23. And so we've, we've journeyed through each of these. We've, we've looked at the feast of Passover and unleavened bread. Uh, and we've uh, looked a few weeks ago at the feast of the first fruits. Uh, and this week we are looking at what is called the feast of weeks. The Feast of Weeks, and there's quite a bit to dig into here, so we're going to jump right in. Leviticus 23, we'll pick up in verse uh, 15. Let's see. Oh, you know what? I don't have, I don't have the passage on the screen. So I'm just going to go old school. I'm going to read it here. Um, listen or follow along. Um, somehow I managed to, to miss that part with the slides. All right, beginning in verse 15. From the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, count off seven full weeks. Count off 50 days up to the day after the seventh Sabbath. And then present an offering of new grain to the Lord from wherever you live. Bring two loaves made of two-tenths of an ephah of the finest flour, baked with yeast as a wave offering of first fruits to the Lord. Present with this bread seven male lambs, each a year old and without defect, one young bull and two rams. They will be a burnt offering to the Lord, together with their grain offerings and drink offerings, a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Then sacrifice one male goat for a sin offering, and two lambs, each a year old for a fellowship offering. The priest is to wave the two lambs before the Lord as a wave offering, together with the bread of the firstfruits. They are a sacred offering to the Lord for the priest. On that same day, you are to proclaim a sacred assembly and do no regular work. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come, wherever you live. And when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest, but leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. For I am the Lord your God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let's pray. O oh Lord, thank you for the gift of your word and for its constant invitation for us to come and feast before you. God, I pray that as we consider the words of your scripture together this morning, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so the Feast of Weeks is what this one is called. And what I want to do is I'm going to highlight a few details that we just read in Leviticus. But then I want to spend most of our time tracing kind of the history of this feast and what it came to be and what it means for us today. Um, And so a few details from Leviticus 23 that we read. First uh, is the date. When does this feast happen? 
Um, and, and we read this, it says, From the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, count off seven full weeks. Uh, and so this feast is tied to the previous feasts. The only way you can figure out when this feast happens is by knowing when the previous feast happens. It, it is all tethered to Passover. Passover is the only one so far that we've been given a date for. And everything since then has been, okay, now after that is unleavened bread. The Sabbath after Passover, or the, the day after Sabbath after Passover, the Sunday after Passover is the first fruits, right? And then count off seven weeks, 50 days, and then you arrive at this feast, right? So that's when it occurs. That's how it got its name, the Feast of Weeks, right? You got to count off seven weeks. Now, in, in Greek, uh, this feast is called Pentecost, the, the term for 50. 50 days, right, is what you count off. So that's what this feast is known as, the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Pentecost. So that's the first detail that we read, and, and we'll, we'll come back to that later on. The second detail that we read is there's a number of offerings that are, are told to, to be given. Uh, and, and to name a few of them, there's a, a burnt offering that's given with the grain offering and drink offering. Uh, there's a sin offering and there's a fellowship offering. Now, if we had been reading through all of Leviticus, we would know exactly what he's talking about because the first several chapters of Leviticus give excruciating detail of all of these sacrifices, all of these different offerings. But, but here's, I think, what's important for us to know. Uh, the burnt offering is, is an offering that was put on the altar and completely burnt till there was nothing left. Uh, and it came to be a sign of worship, just simple worship for the people. Uh, we are going to give all of ourselves to God. Um, that's what the burnt offering was about. It's about opening up the whole heart and coming before God completely, worshiping him. That's what burnt offerings are about. Now, the second one we see here, and, and that's along with the grain offering and the drink offering. Those were offered all together. The, the next one we read about here is there is a sin offering. These are offerings that are given specifically in response to various sins that have been committed, whether intentional or unintentional. Uh, a sin offering would be given uh, in order to make restitution for those sins, to atone for those sins. Now, this imagery is a bit strange to us thousands of years later, but the image here is that the, the blood of the offerings is a, is a holy substance. It's a sacred substance. Uh, elsewhere, we read uh, in Leviticus that there is life in this blood, um, and that the life in that blood is a symbol of the life that is needed by those who have committed sin and have, have entered into death. Uh, and so they would splash the blood on the sides of the altars as a sign that we need life, O oh God. We need your life. And that blood was a picture of, again, this is very strange to us because we're many cultures removed, but it was almost seen as a cleansing agent, right? We, we see blood and we think that's dirty. Um, but in, in the temple, blood was actually something that cleansed. Um, that's why we get all these songs about being cleansed by the blood of Jesus, right? What in the world? Well, it's rooted in these sacrifices 
Blood is a cleansing thing. It's, it's like, um, you know, ancient Clorox for the soul. <laughs> it, it cleans and, and restores and renews. So that's what sin offering is, is for. It's this restitution after sin. And then finally, there's a fellowship offering. And what a fellowship offering is, is it's very unique among the offerings because the fellowship offering is one that, um, yes, you do uh, take part of it and, and put it on the altar and burn it, but mostly the fellowship offering is a feast. It's something that's shared among the people who bring it. There's instructions that say, don't leave any of this offering until after night. You got to eat the whole thing. No leftovers. Uh, the fellowship offering is a meal that's shared. Uh, between the priests and the people who bring it, uh, it's a picture of community. So burnt offering, sin offering, and fellowship offering. What we have here are images of worship, forgiveness, and community. Worship, forgiveness, and community. At the heart of the Feast of Weeks. Again, we'll, we'll come back to this a little bit later. Uh, finally, one more detail that I want to point out that we see here in Leviticus, and that's uh, the, the purpose of this feast. What, why is this happening? Well, again, the people of Israel were an agrarian people. They were people of the land, and they lived by the rhythms of the land. And so the, the last feast we looked at was the Feast of first fruits, and that was the very beginning of harvest, right? Harvest has begun right? And they go, begin to harvest it. They begin to get it. And the first fruits they bring to the Lord and they sacrifice to him. Um, the first fruits celebrated the start of harvest. Well, fast forward seven weeks. The Feast of Weeks celebrates the continuation of harvest, right? It has not only begun, it, it's continued, right? We're, we're continuing to, to reap and, and gain fruit from the land. So thanks be to God, um, first fruit celebrates the arrival in the land, right? That we have this place to call home. But the Feast of Weeks celebrates actually living in that land. The ongoing day-to-day -day life of the people of God. And so we have this, this image of all these offerings that culminate in the fellowship offering. And so it, it's this sign of the people living in the land and living in restored relationship and in fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. That's the image at the heart of the Feast of Weeks, a community made right with God and in, in harmony with one another. And, and this is for all the people, for all the people. We cannot forget verse 22 uh, which makes this clear, right? When you reap the harvest of your land, don't reap all the way to the edges, right? Leave some there for the poor and for the strangers that are residing among you, right? Everyone is part of this community, everyone. So, so th this is the image of the festival of weeks that we have. It's this harvest festival, uh, in, in many ways, it's, it's like Thanksgiving for us, right? It's, it's this image of, of um, you know, reaping a bounty and saying, thank you, God. Now let's eat 
right? That's what we do in the fall after having harvested things all year long. Now, not everyone's a gardener, but I know a lot of you are. And so there's a number of you here in the late fall that are going, I don't know what to do with all of these tomatoes, grapes, like fill in the blank. I've heard it from you, um, right? The, the earth has produced its bounty, and now we got to do something with it. But thank you, God, for all of this. That's what this festival was about. Uh, and so initially, that was, that was it. It was, a, it was a Thanksgiving, a harvest festival tied to the rhythms of the land and its produce. However, over time, it came to take on a deeper meaning. So that like the other feasts that we've talked about so far, it became connected to a significant act of God among the people of Israel. And so looking at all the feasts that are here in Leviticus 23, you know, we began with the special weekly day of Sabbath that points to God's creation of the world. Right, this act of God. And then the annual feasts and festivals, we, we looked at Passover and unleavened bread. It points to God delivering the people out of slavery in Egypt, bringing freedom to them. And then uh, a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, we looked at the festival of first fruits, which points to God bringing the people into the promised land. And so we arrive at the feast of weeks, and eventually, it came to be associated with God making covenant with God's people by giving them the law. God making covenant with his people by giving them the law. That's what this festival comes to be associated with over time. And the reason for this is that the Feast of Weeks happens roughly on the anniversary of God's law-giving covenant with his people. It's about the same time of year. Remember, there's not a set date for this festival. But if we think about it, we know that Passover and unleavened bread and first fruits are all right together there in the middle of the first month of the year. And so if you fast forward seven weeks, you land in the third month of the year. I actually looked at the calendar and, and did the math. I was, you know, I started at January 15th and counted forward seven weeks, and it, hey, it was March, right? Um, and so you, that's where this is. It takes place somewhere in the third month. And this is when, after fleeing from Egypt, after crossing over the sea, they arrived at Mount Sinai, where they made covenant with God and received the law. We read about this in Exodus 19. Uh, I'll read a chunk of it, verses 1 through 8. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, it's the third month, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai. And Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession." Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me 
a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. And the people all responded together. We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. These are the words of the covenant, the receiving of the law at Sinai, right? And this this really does go with the Feast of Weeks, if you think about it, because like we said, it's a celebration of actually living in the land. The day-to-day stuff of living in the land, the burnt offering, the sin offering, the fellowship offering are signs of living life with God and with each other. And for the people of Israel, the law is the means by which they lived this life together. The law showed them how to live life with God and with each other. It gave them practices for worship, practices for community life. It gave them guidelines for health, for safety, for justice, how to respond to wrongdoing among them. And so the Feast of Weeks is the time when the people would remember this covenant that God had made during the third month with them, the law that he gave them, right? That that he said to them, you will be my treasured possession, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. And the people responded, we will do everything that the Lord has said. That's what this festival points to. But living life with God and with each other is not always a warm, fuzzy, romantic thing. It's messy. It's challenging. It's filled with all kinds of messing up and wronging one another. And it was like this from the very beginning, from the very start. Because you see in Exodus 19, what we just read, we see this beautiful ceremony where God and the people affirm this covenant. You know, I will be your God. You will be my people. And they say, yes, amen. It's wonderful. But after this, Moses goes back up. He receives the law from God. And then things start to get a little dicey. If we flip forward to Exodus 32, things take a turn. In Exodus 32, When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, what's going on? Come, make us gods who will go before us. This fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. And so Aaron answered them, all right, take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. And then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord, a feast to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early, they sacrificed, burnt offerings. They presented fellowship offerings. Sound a little familiar? And afterward, they sat down to eat and drink, and they got up to indulge in revelry. 
in a way, this sounds a little bit like the Feast of Weeks, right? Tomorrow there will be a feast, Aaron says. And they sacrifice burnt offerings. They sacrifice fellowship offerings. They sit down to eat together. But it's all wrong. It's all messed up, right? They're not worshiping God. They're worshiping an idol that they made. They're not living in restored community. They're indulging in revelry, is the language that's used there. It's not a picture of a worshiping community, but a people far from God who are merely using and taking advantage of one another for their own enjoyment and their own gain. This is not unlike the world that we live in. We still serve our own idols. And we still take advantage of one another. We're experts at it. And and this can happen equally in the church or at the club. Right? Whether it's the drunken stupor of a rave or the stern dogmatism of religion, we are experts at using and abusing one another and distorting what God meant to be good for ourselves. That's what they did from the very start. They made covenant with God and it immediately went off the rails. So when Moses finally does come back down from the mountain, he sees all this going on. And he immediately takes action. Exodus 32, verses 25 to 28 say, Moses saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them get out of control and so became a laughingstock to their enemies. So he stood at the entrance to the camp and he said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites rallied to him. And then he said to them, This is what the the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Each man, strap a sword to his side. Go back and forth through the camp, from one end to the other, each killing his brother and friend and neighbor. And so the Levites did, as Moses commanded. And that day, about 3,000 of the people died. Moses calls out, Who here is for the Lord? And the Levites respond to his call. And that's why, from this point on, it's the Levites who are appointed as the caretakers and the protectors of the temple or the tabernacle of God. So they were the ones who defended God's honor. And at the end of the day, about 3,000 people had died. This was a tragic event and the life of Israel. But this tragedy ultimately does make way for grace. We don't have time to read them, but in chapters 33 and 34 of Exodus, God restores the covenant with his people and reveals himself as a God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. 
He ultimately says, I'm not going to abandon my people, although they were quick to abandon me. So all of this, this whole story, Exodus 19 all the way to Exodus 34, is part of the story that's remembered at the Feast of Weeks. As the people gathered to give thanks for the harvest that they could enjoy together, they also give thanks for the law, which showed them how to live together. And that law was a sign of God's gracious covenant with his people, his stubborn steadfastness and faithfulness. And so at the Feast of Weeks, they would look back on this story. They would lament their sin and the 3,000 who died, but they would give thanks for the law and renew their commitment to God and to each other. So, so this is the story of Israel's calendar that we've covered so far. Passover says, God has freed us from Egypt. First fruits says, God has fed us by bringing us to the land. And the Feast of Weeks says, God is forming us into his people. God has freed us, has fed us, and he is forming us into his people. Now, a thousand some odd years later, there's another particular celebration of the Feast of Weeks, which in Greek, as we've already said, is known as Pentecost. This particular year, all of these feasts have had their own special parallel twist. That's what we've been talking about over these weeks. In the Feast of Passover, Jesus broke bread with his disciples. And then like the Passover lamb was led to the slaughter, arrested, crucified, died. The Sunday after Passover on the Feast of first fruits, Jesus rose from the dead, overcame death, and became the first fruits of new creation in the world. And after his resurrection, he met with his disciples and he told them, go to Jerusalem and wait. Wait. And then he ascended into heaven. And so the disciples went to Jerusalem and they waited. We read about this particular Feast of Weeks, Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be the tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, if you know the rest of the story, there are a lot of Jews from every nation gathered in Jerusalem. Why? Because it's the Feast of Weeks. They've come to celebrate. 
And this motion, this wind and, and all that's going on in that room where they are causes quite a stir. So Peter gets up and he addresses the crowd and he declares that just as Joel promised, God has poured out his spirit on all people. So, so look at this. This is what's happening. On the day that the people have gathered to remember God's giving of the law, on this very day, God now gives them a new law, not written on stone, but on the heart by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given generously. And after the law was given at Sinai, the people rebelled against God, right? And about 3,000 were killed. But after the Spirit was given, verse 41 says that many turned toward God by accepting Peter's message and were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. The author of Acts is being as clear as can be. Just as the law was given to show you how to live life with God and one another, so now the Spirit is given to empower and enable you to live that life with God and one another. Just as the law had been given, so now the Spirit is given to dwell in your heart and to empower you to live this life every day. But where the law brought death, the Spirit brings life. That's why Paul says in Romans 8, through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. It's not 3,000 who are killed. It's 3,000 who are reborn and come to life. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law may be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. God gives and pours out his Spirit. That's what the Feast of Weeks, that's what Pentecost is about. And so, very briefly, I want to return to the details we looked at in Leviticus 23 and how they speak to us today as people filled with the Spirit. So the first thing we looked at is the date of the Feast of Weeks. And we said the Feast of Weeks doesn't have its own date. It's tethered to the date of Passover. There's no way to know the Feast of Weeks apart from Passover. Uh, and, and what this says is that the law is not the foundational marker of God's people. The law isn't the essential thing 
about God's people. The Exodus is. You only get to the giving of the law by going through the Exodus, by being set free. The foundational thing is not that we are people who follow the law. The foundational thing is that we are people who've been saved by God. That's the foundational thing. This is where the Pharisees got things mixed up. Because it came all about the law to the neglect of God's gracious redemption. They, they were essentially a Pentecost people remembering the giving of the law while they neglected the more foundational story of Passover, the deliverance that God has brought. And this has implications for us as well because as Paul makes very clear, it is through Christ Jesus that the Spirit has come to us. It's through Christ Jesus that the Spirit has come to us. In the same way that the people of Israel only got to Sinai to receive the law by going out of Egypt, being delivered, and going through the sea, so we do not arrive at the Holy Spirit apart from the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's the foundation. Pentecost is is tethered to Passover. And the Spirit of God is tethered to the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. They, They passed through the water to get to Sinai, and so too we pass through the water of baptism as a sign of our own death and resurrection, joining Christ And those waters are where the Spirit hovers and comes to us. There there are folks in in the book of Acts who try to buy the Holy Spirit with money. (laughs) And Peter says, that's not going to work. It's only Jesus. It's only through Christ Jesus that the Spirit is given. And so if we want to be a Spirit Pentecost people, we've got to be a Jesus people rooted in the foundational story of Passover, God's redemption, his death and resurrection. The second thing that we talked about is is these sacrifices, right? There was was the, the burnt offering, the sin offering, and the fellowship offering. Well, Paul makes it very clear that Jesus was the sin offering. God did this by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. Jesus is that sin offering. So what of the burnt offering and the fellowship offering? Well, we talked about what those mean. The burnt offering is a life of worship to God. And the fellowship offering is a life in community together. Because of the sin offering of Jesus, these other offerings come naturally. We respond to what Jesus has done with worship and with fellowship. And this is precisely what we see on the day of Pentecost. The people uh, responded to this message, were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number responding to the the death and the resurrection of Jesus, 
who is the sin offering. And then what? Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They're practicing the Feast of Weeks, but they know that the sin offering has already been given. So what do they do? They pray, they worship, and they share in fellowship in the breaking of bread. They're doing the Feast of Weeks just as it was told. We're called to do the same. We respond to the death and the resurrection of Jesus through worship and through fellowship, life with God and life together. And that's ultimately the purpose of this. This whole festival is about living everyday life in the land. And for us, as recipients of the Spirit, it's about living everyday life in the kingdom of God. Just as they celebrated the fruit of the land, so we celebrate the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the means by which we live every day. It's how we are to be as God's Spirit-filled people. And so the Feast of Weeks calls us to be rooted in the death and resurrection of Jesus, but restored by his Holy Spirit. And so let us be a Holy Spirit-filled people. Amen.